This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Hello and welcome back for more chat on the topics that affect human resources. Today, we're talking about line managers and why they're leaving their jobs. It is highly unlikely, if, if zero, that we are just going to snap back to the way we were pre-pandemic of, of this default of everyone coming into the office. We'll also be looking into why women are less likely to go for leadership roles. Are people keeping women out on purpose? It, it's not like that. It's just that historically, organisations were set up for men, so the systems were made to work for people. But before that, let's talk about mental health in the workplace and why leaders must invest in their staff. I spoke to Neil Debenham, who is CEO of a corporate consultancy called Fintrex. He started his career in finance and found a niche in creating and structuring investment products to help people raise capital. A number of experiences, including having a difficult boss as a mechanic's apprentice and becoming a father, seem to have subconsciously influenced Neil into being a leader that puts staff well-being at the heart of his business. I work tirelessly three days a week because two days a week I'm, I'm with my daughter. So I'll be picking her up from school this afternoon and then I'll take her to school tomorrow morning and, and Friday afternoon I have her. So you know, the, the reason I'm sympathetic towards these, these type of environments is um, most of our team members have children I have built the business around my involvement with, with my child. And I think sometimes, you know, owners, CEOs, um, entrepreneurs, they have to understand that actually every struggle and every pressure that they face in their day-to-day life, um, other people are also facing that and probably don't have the, the flexibility or the freedom or the ability to be able to juggle things in, in that same way. It's... I think over time, naturally, and I know in a lot of cases, we, when we're talking about mental health, we don't have time. We have to um, take advantage of quick implementation. But I think naturally over time, businesses will be, they will come under more and more pressure to address these concerns because we, we're already seeing it in the way that people work and operate now. If companies are not offering certain benefits or if companies are not offering certain support, to their staff or their employees or whatever, they're, they're moving and they're leaving. And I think, you know, this is going to be a big area of focus 2022, perhaps even as far as 23, 24, and maybe even 25. But over time, that shift will, I think, naturally take place. But as I said, we don't have the, the luxury of time um, in certain areas of mental health. I love that story because not often do we hear about fathers who create their businesses um, along a flexibility so that they could look after their children or, or be there for them. Um, so yeah, that's really wonderful. My daughter's mum and I are still very, very good friends. We split up, um, it'll be four years ago in July. So that was really the turning point where I thought, actually, do you know, I, I have to build my business around my life instead of build my life around my business. And, and it was difficult at first. I found spending time with my daughter intrusive on my work life mm. and then over time as I really kind of embedded myself in into that and enjoying spending time and seeing the value of that actually I found that work became an intrusion on my family life 
And now, uh, you know, uh, after a couple of years, we've found a really, really good, strong balance. It's very impressive that you can admit that as well. So it's um, it's an inspiration. Thank you so much for sharing. So don't know if you've seen the HR Review article, but we, we are talking about Brew Monday and there are loads of suggestions of what companies can do to, to make people feel better in the workplace, um, you know, ranging from giving them the day off to having emotional intelligence and assessing all through the year. In your experience, what have you found uh, has been the most effective way of ensuring employees feel as if they belong to a company and accepted in expressing how they feel? At the moment, we have to find a, a, a very strong balance between inclusion and flexibility. What the last, let's say, 24 months, but, but longer than that, has taught us is that um, businesses can still do very, very well whilst offering flexibility to its uh, its team members. But with that, there's a certain element of kind of potential loneliness or, or not feeling included. So now is the time, I think, to find a, a very strong balance between inclusion and flexibility of working. And I think you know, the, the flexibility can help people tick boxes, but certainly the inclusion part, whilst people are still working from home, whilst they are still juggling family requirements and yeah, other staff members off sick, um, bringing people in close uh, in some sort of inclusion plan, whether that's re- remote parties, whether that's um, get togethers, or, or even the importance of bringing families into the, um, into the situation. Yeah, it's, it's very, I think it has to be very, very staff focused at the moment in order to um, continue through this, what, what is typically known as a kind of blue period. Mm, so, so putting back the human in human resources, basically. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I, I was only thinking about this the other day. I remember when I first left school, I was 16 years old and I had a mechanics apprenticeship and, and this is a true story. I'm on my, my, employer at the time um said to me you're and looking back now we wouldn't dare say it now but he said you're you're no more important to me than a than brake pads on a shelf oh my he God. said I, I yeah well, well but we have to remember that was 23 years ago and he said you're no more important to me than brake pads on a shelf um i pay x amount for you and i get x amount of productivity or profit out of you and at the time i didn't think anything of it i did you know it, I, I was 16 i was I, I was a bit wet it was my first job out there but can you imagine saying that to to somebody now um so over the years we we've now been and, and become more and more focused on the human element um of what we do and you know i think um uh, Big business leaders are now reflecting it down to smaller business leaders. You know, if you look after your staff, you look after your customers and you make them feel included and make you feel part of it, the company thrives. And I think there's a a lot of focus now has been put on, actually, how can a company stay profitable um, while still investing very heavily in its its staff and its team? And there are so many ways because the output is so much – stronger than the input if that makes sense it's just multiplied if you take it through the right channels quite a lot of it doesn't progress with regards to mental health or well-being because companies do see it as a negative and they worry that like you said earlier that it's not just an additional cost but also those workers won't bring the business any profits however what we have seen in studies now 
And I don't know why employers don't actually employ this this mindset. But what we have seen in studies is that actually, when you show your staff that you care, and when you are a manager or CEO that is welcoming and and prioritizes mental health and well-being, then you tend to have much higher profits because you have a happier workforce. So those two go hand in hand. Follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Yeah, I think so. I I mean, look, we, we have to remember that operating in business a lot of a lot of the decisions are made on will our will our output um, exceed our input. So if we invest something, whether that's time, whether that's money, whether that's resources, will we get more out of that? If not, what is the other value we'll get out of it? And and as you've just said, I think a lot of employers now or a lot of um, CEOs are now saying actually, if we invest quite heavily into understanding but also respecting and supporting mental health in the workplace our output is a lot stronger and i actually um you know i was speaking to someone earlier who said quite a lot of the errors that are made in respect to mental health well-being and and training staff etc it's actually because people not because they want to deliberately harm their workforce but it's uh, a lack of understanding and this lack of knowledge tends to well hamper their company's growth so what advice would you be able to give to people who are struggling with that idea that supporting mental health and well-being in the workplace is is actually going to bring them benefits again it's it's looking at the the element of investment isn't it and and looking at um you 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 wouldn't operate any other part of your business in a way that you wouldn't invest into it to to get the best out and you know we we see lots of um Lots of big companies now are focusing on uh, the the human element and the human touch. I think ultimately, over time, employers are going to lose staff and they are going to lose engagement. Tweet at HR Review. If they don't spend time and money and resources now uh, in investing in this. And actually, sometimes... Um, yeah, we, we we hear a stigma, don't we, around mental health and depression and OCD. There's always a stigma that, that sits around it. But actually, when we look at what mental health really is, sometimes they just need somebody to talk to of an independent nature. They just need a bit of an escape from you know, the, the kind of whirlwind that, that goes on inside their head. And there, there were... There was a TV program once about, and actually it was focused around um, the way people act. And everybody who grew up in different environments and experienced different things acted in different ways. And it's very easy as an employer to think, you know, everybody operates the same. They all come in at the same time. They all leave at the same time. They all do very similar jobs. It's a one size fits all model. We don't need to invest in it. But I think outsourcing sometimes to bring a specialist in to sit down with the uh, with the CEO or sit down with the owner and say, look, let's let's do a full review of the processes. And it may be that the owner needs education. It may be the CEO needs education to recognise, or the HR um, manager to recognise actually what are the trigger points of certain mental illnesses, especially in this workplace. That was Neil Debenham, CEO of Fintrex. Now let's hear from Inga Woodstra. 
If you have any comments on the HR and Review podcast, would like to suggest a topic or speaker, or provide other feedback, you can contact us using the email podcast at hrreview.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you. Inga moved to the UK from the Netherlands almost 20 years ago, and she was surprised to find how difficult it was for her as a woman to find a job that was accepting of her other role, being a mother. Inga is from Voice at the Table, which is a diversity and inclusion consultancy that helps firms improve their diversity ratio and therefore their business innovation. We started our conversation by talking about the history of the social constructs within organisations and whether they are still fit for purpose. In the culture of an organisation, you expect a particular type of behaviour. You know, what does ambition look like? We all know what ambition looks like, but actually that Ambition is someone who puts themselves forward, who, voc- who comes across confidently, who has a certain presence, and, and a lot of those things. And the picture we have of people who have that gravitas, that presence, that confidence, when you ask people to picture a leader, most people, regardless of whether they're male or female, or from a different culture, or from a different socioeconomic background, they will come up with, with male names and male images. So when we have those images in our mind, Mm. have particular behaviors in our mind, it is easier to see a man do those things. And even senior women, you know, it's it's brilliant. A friend of mine is currently doing a a course at uh, Fontainebleau, you know, INSEAD school, and they're all top males and females. And he was in a team with three top women. And they all three looked at him for the presentation. It's that sort of assumption of, you know, why don't you do that? Because you don't mind. And you look back at them and said, well, I'm sorry, but that's not how this works. No, (laughs) that is crazy. Most officers, yes, I agree with you. They they seem to be built that way. But I wonder if that's because of the way government structures are. So, for example, if we take, I don't know, maternity leave and paternity leave. Paternity leave is two weeks. Maternity leave is nine months. You know, why is that if if those things were changed you know and maybe if it was equal um then men and women would be judged equally as well yes and no yes it's very pervasive in society it's everywhere right it's the health visitor asking for the mother the school more likely calling the mother than the why father why is that that is so annoying uh, <laughs> it, it is iceland commercials i remember and i mean I'm, I'm being unfair he's singling out but yeah one but it's supermarket you know it's waitrose marks and spencer uh advertisements saying mum knows best mom's or, cooking dad yeah, sitting down watching cooking. tv yeah and i'm originally from the netherlands and there was a really conscious effort probably about 25 years ago because i remember it sort of when i went to university where the mum was replaced by parent almost absolutely everywhere and it felt really convoluted initially and a bit weird Mm. but it makes a big difference now when parents are asked to volunteer in school and when parents are encouraged to pick up their children Mm. um, when parents are sent information about breastfeeding when parents are invited to breastfeeding courses that's sort of where you both have to figure out how your baby works that is just as applicable so that's part of it then language is definitely part of making it inclusive and not just for women and men but also for same-sex couples etc you it needs to be an inclusive space so language but what else what else can we do to 
to make this better? It starts with leadership who changes the culture, right? So the leadership needs to become conscious that things may be different for women than they may, or not just women, you know, different for different types of people, because that these things don't apply just to women, they apply to all underrepresented groups. So it's about having that awareness of it might be different. So let's go and ask this different group. Let's go and have a conversation, ask women for roles ask why they didn't put themselves forward. And then people always get a bit squeamish when I say that. They go, well, you can't just ask random women for senior roles. Well, of course not. You're going to ask women that you deem suitable, that seem to have the experience, the motivation that you think would be absolutely brilliant, that you value their contribution. And you think, well, why haven't they put themselves forward? Why don't I see them in my leadership team? So you go and ask them for those roles. And then you listen. So there is no foregone conclusion here. You say, well, what happened? I believe you can do this for what happened. And they will explain what it is they need. They will say, oh, I wasn't sure I'm ready. I wasn't ready for it. Oh, I thought you were. So what, what are you missing? What, how can we help you with that? And this happened in companies that I've worked with, you know, so they would do this. And then the women would say, well, it's the board meeting it happens to be on a Thursday evening. And I want to do this role really, really well, but I'm not, I don't want to be away from my family in the evenings. So they changed the board meetings to lunchtime. You know, at that at senior levels, there's a lot of potential flexibility because you can tell other people to be available when it suits you. You're listening to HR in review. So in a previous podcast, someone else has said that actually what we really need to be doing is if a, a woman on your team has not put themselves forward for a leadership position, you should go out and you should find out from her what has stopped her from doing that and then change it so it's suitable for her to apply for that particular position because otherwise you will never breed diversity and innovation in your teams. And I wonder what advice you would have for women who are finding it a little bit tough, like if they see a a leadership position come up either within their team or externally out of the organization, what stops them from applying because they feel like, okay, well, you know, maybe the, the board meetings are too late or... I can't attend because I usually pick my kid up at one o'clock and they're with me for an hour or whatever. What, what advice do you have for them to put their best foot forward and just do it? If the woman thinks she has a lack of experience, it would be worth thinking about, well, what experience do you have? And then actually have a conversation about that. Yeah, make it safer. I think for women are less, the risk of going to one of these senior positions is larger for women. The reward is often smaller. Yeah, women are typically less likely to take risks than men. So taking that risk away is what an organization needs to do. So how can you make these senior roles less risky to take on? So, for instance, by showing um, what experience you need, how you can get that experience and helping people get that experience is one way. So for the individual women, you can do the same thing. Right. So find out what kind of experience you need to move up and then talk to people on how to get that experience and ask support in getting that experience. So you don't necessarily. So that will take the risk out of it because a lot of women will say, well, I don't have the right experience yet. We've done a report on HR Review where we talked about women who are more disadvantaged than men because they don't come in to work. So so even though flexible working yeah. is a thing and hybrid working is a thing, women, disabled people, anyone who, who needs, you know, carers, anyone who needs a, a flexible working schedule, those people seem to be more disadvantaged 
than the people who show up to the office. But more often than not, it tends to be females, especially those who are mothers. So I wonder what can we do to make uh, hybrid working and flexible working, remote working, less of a stigma for women? Yeah, great question, because I think that that is actually not so, it's slightly different from being in the office, but I would give the same advice to women in the office because women in that work in the office are also more likely to go home early, less likely to be part of the all boys network. So you just miss out on a lot of networking. You miss out on a lot of visibility. As voice at the table, when we work with organizations, we teach those organizations, their leaders, the HR teams, to teach people uh, to, to make more opportunities available for networking, more formal opportunities. So that could be formal mentoring systems, formal sponsoring systems, because in the sort of all boys network, those things will just happen naturally. And it's the same thing with when you're in the office, those things are more likely to happen naturally. When you're not part of these systems or when you're not in the office, what you need to do is make that more formal. So if your organization isn't doing that, you need to make it more formal yourself, which means book a regular appointment with your boss, book a regular appointment with your boss's boss, book a regular appointment with people at the sort of one or two levels ahead. Just, yeah, book an appointment. Say, I'd love to, to hear uh, how you got in that role, what that role takes. You know, people love talking about their own jobs, making sure at least once a month you have one of those conversations, book it informally, make it part of your calendar, and you can do that virtually as well. And then following up with these people. So obviously you've had that conversation, you let them know what you did with their advice, uh, you let them know it was very useful. And yeah, six months later, by all means, if it was a good click, go and see them again, ask them to be your mentor. So other people also can make you more visible and your work more visible in the organisation. Inga Woodstra from Voice at the Table. Why not subscribe to the premium version of HR in Review? You'll get ad-free content, early and extra episodes and more. Even better, although it's the premium edition, it's absolutely free. Sign up at hrreview.co.uk slash podcast. Now, my next guest is Bradley Burgoyne from Cypher, which is a specialist HR, payroll, recruitment and learning software provider. Bradley worked for almost two decades for a motor franchise in a variety of positions before switching industries. He talked to us about a study that was done by Cypher, which is on the HR Review website, and it shows that managers are leaving their roles when they aren't being offered training. Now, as many companies are dealing with the great resignation, this is worrying. Actually, having been a line manager, I think there's been a lot of asked of line managers over the last 18 months. Um, you know, we, 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 we asked line managers to negotiate a pandemic, keep their teams engaged, um, we've had a whole well-being aspect that maybe managers haven't had to deal with before um, in terms of mental health and well-being. They've had to negotiate things like furlough, bring people back, hybrid working. How do we get this role to work from home? How do I manage a team that works from home? What does good performance look like in this new world? All whilst trying to still juggle the demands of a department that still needs to achieve KPIs and, and everything else that goes along with that. So I think a lot's been asked of managers. And maybe if I was to think about why would they want to leave, if, 
if managers aren't feeling that they're getting that investment back, the risk then is it feels like it becomes a very one-way street. I'm giving a lot, but what am I taking back personally that's helping me develop and develop my career? And I guess the risk is, if the answer is, I feel like this is a very one-way street, I may start to seek out other opportunities and other employers where it's not a one-way street, it's a two-way thing and I'm getting just as much out as I'm putting in. Is that a bit unfair on the part of the employers? Because, of course, you know, with the COVID-19 lockdown and with the fact that everyone had to be home and remote working and all of this, it wasn't just managers, you know, it was also the C-suite that were struggling because this was new for everybody. Um, So maybe... You know, do you think managers should give their current roles a chance so that, you know, they can give their employers a chance to make good? Or do you think actually it's right? They should probably go if they aren't feeling appreciated. Yeah. And, and you know, that's a big caveat in terms of, you know, everyone feeling that role and feeling underappreciated. I think, I think, yes, you're right. There, there, there needs to be this. It, it was unprecedented times. You know, no one really knew what they especially in the early days of, of, of the pandemic no one really knew what to do <laughs> so everyone did their best um and some companies would have got that more right than others but i don't think there's anyone particularly to blame for that it's just decisions were made had to be made quickly and people dealt with it in the way that they felt best so i think yes if there has been that underinvestment, it may in most cases i'm guessing it's not intentional mm. it wasn't meant to be that way people were just trying to navigate it and, and and c-suite are within that you know just because they have senior roles within the organization it doesn't mean they knew exactly what to do in over the last 18 months and maybe all of the calls that they made weren't weren't right I wonder though, I, think, I, I mean, were you surprised by the fact that when I looked at your survey, it said something like 38% of managers who either liked or loved their job were still planning to leave in 2022. Now that's a huge proportion of people who like their job or love their job, yet they still want to go. Find us on LinkedIn, HR Review. Yeah, and and, and we've seen this, you know, and, and again, there was the same to same same question was asked of, of senior managers, you know, C-suite director, and, and 42% of those were, were considering leaving their role within, within the next year um, alongside that. So we know there's, there's more at play here outside of, you know, a potential underinvestment in management training. There's also this, this big piece, and I know I've, I've changed roles in, in, in the last 12 months, of people using that time through the pandemic to really reflect on what do I want from work? Where, where's my career going? Do I want my career to stay in the same lane? Do I want to try something different? Do I want to push myself into a different area? Those decisions maybe that I just pull off because pre-pandemic, I was just kind of, you know, in, in a very different world and, 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 and I had a set plan to, to go on. The pandemic kind of got everyone to question everything, right? And, and, and I think as a result of that, even if you love what you do, you've had that period of reflection where maybe you have gone, you know what, I do want to try something new or that, that thing that was maybe a hobby. I'm really keen to develop that maybe into a business. Um, the, the, the demands of, you know, of, of hybrid working and 
the opportunities that's brought for people. You know, I know personally, I've spent far more time with my family over the last 18 months than I have at any other point in, in my working life. And that's been brilliant for me. And if I worked for employer, which thankfully I, I didn't, but if I did work for employer that said to me, do you know what, you have to come back to the office five days a week now, I think that would have forced me to, to really think that, yeah, I love working here, but actually my life has changed now and, and I, need, I need a more flexible way of working. So it doesn't mean I dislike my employer, just means that actually the changes that have happened for everybody over the last 18 months forces me to think slightly differently about what I want from work and, and my expectation. So that point we were talking about on the previous in terms of, is it unfair for managers to have expected that from their organisation? I think there is an interesting bit here around, there's, there's responsibility on both parties. You know, there's responsibility on the organisation to create an environment where learning is a, a culture that's embedded within the business and is encouraged and, and, and we encourage colleagues to participate in learning activities, whether they're delivered by the company, or actually there's also a responsibility on the individuals that if they work within that environment, what opportunities are you seeking out for yourself? Because training isn't something that just happens to you by your organization. You can also be an active part of that. Um, and the, you know, the, the types of training, training is a very broad sweeping statement. You know, are we talking about sitting in a formal classroom environment, receiving uh, information? Yeah, that's one type of, of training, I guess. But there's also great resources that you can access yourself, some of which are free. You know, YouTube can be fantastic. There's plenty of free podcasts. We're talking on one now. There's, there's, there's audio books that you can download to educate yourself, you know, learning, there has to be a personal responsibility around learning as well. Um, the obligation of the organisation is to create a space where colleagues feel that learning is an important aspect of their role and help guide them to some of these solutions, mm. but it's not all on the organisation to, to, to develop their, their employees. Have you, uh, have you ever read the 5am club? Uh, I haven't. I haven't. So no. it's a book about no. um, how we should have wake up at five a.m., but also separate mm -hmm. that time between waking up and having to start the day into three parts. One is mm -hmm. um, being spiritual, one is learning, and one is exercise. So it's twenty minutes, twenty minutes, twenty minutes. Then you start the day. You know, you go and have breakfast, and then you get ready for work, or look after your kids, or do whatever it is that you you normally do in the day. The whole point of that is that it really does focus as well on, you know, bettering yourself, whether, you know, whether that's learning in a new language or whether that's, you know, bettering your career in some way or, or training yourself. And I wonder if that could ex be extended in the employment sector as well, where employers give employees this time to better themselves and, uh, and they don't feel so stressed about it. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a nice way to ease is either into the day or out of the day and I wonder how what a difference that would make I don't know if I've made sense there have I made any sense I don't know no I, I think you have <laughs> and I think it it, it it leads quite nicely on what we were talking about just before that it, it it's the responsibility of the employer to create that culture where people have permission are empowered to do just as you've said there you know have space and time in the day 
to develop their skills, learn new knowledge, and feel that, you know, that they're, they're doing the right thing by doing that. And, and that's encouraged. And we share good news stories that, you know, someone over here has just learned this and maybe we empower them to then share what they've learned with other colleagues across the business that, that would benefit from that knowledge as well. And that sharing of learning also it helps the community of the organisation, helps people be closer to each other. Sure. And, and one of the ideas we were experimenting with prior to me taking on a new role here in, in my previous role was actually, could we, could we create a, a, a space within our learning management system where anybody could come and share any skill that they had and other people could therefore, I don't know, let's say it was a, a 30 minute session on I play the guitar to a really great level (laughs) and and I'm gonna I'm gonna share 30 minutes about how I learned to play the guitar and and maybe pique other people's interest in that topic um what a what a great way to share knowledge and skills across the business but equally as you've just said bring people closer together and get like-minded individuals talking about topics that they're really passionate about And all of a sudden, we spark some extra connections, we spark some extra relationships, which from a collaboration perspective will pay dividends as as the organisation moves down the line. Because who knows, some of those people might be involved in a project one day, and actually, we've already kind of met, we've already talked, and we've already got something in common. Um, And I love that aspect of organisations, yes, sharing skills and knowledge that are valuable to the organisation, but encouraging colleagues to say you're, you're a human being and your working life is only one part of, of what you do. What other skills do you have outside of your world of work that actually you could share with other people just to spark that common interest and, and, and have that conversation? I think that's a great place for an organisation to be. I love that idea, actually. It's like mini TED Talks within the organisation. Um, yeah. Definitely a platform, right, for, for improvement on, on all sides. Um, and, and, and I guess that goes back to that's what I was saying. the point I was making was, you know, the organisation can do that. It can create that space. And almost that's the, the obligation of the organisation is how do we create this space for people to learn and feel that it's a, a positive thing to do rather than something we have to do. But there also seemed to be a gender bias within the survey uh, that you've done, because what we've seen is that more men are trained than women are. Do, do you know why that is or, or what brings that about? We, we don't. Um, the, 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 surveys, the survey results show us the gap. What they don't show us is, is necessarily why that gap exists. And so um, what could we do to, to bridge that? I think one point that was really interesting in the survey was it also highlighted there was a much higher volume of female managers working in a part-time capacity versus um, their male counterparts. And I don't know if that feeds into the statistic that you just shared there, that it also highlighted that actually part-time workers were not receiving the same level of training and investment as their full-time counterparts. So do you have this, this, this gap that exists because more female colleagues are in part-time roles and we're under-investing in skills and and, and training for part-time colleagues. Therefore, that is already putting female colleagues at a disadvantage. 
before we even get into the fact that there's a 7% gap between male and female full-time equivalents. Um, so it does highlight it. I, I, this, I can only talk about the statistics and, and, and what, they've, what they've shown us. As to the reasons why, I think it would be great if, if organisations could use the findings of this data to go back and have those conversations with colleagues and ask them the reason why they, they, they feel like that, what could we do to improve, what could we do to make that better, because it's going to be very personal to each individual, and I think this is the great thing about the statistics that we've highlighted, is it gives organisations a, a talking point to go back to colleagues within their business and say, look, this survey's happened, these are the results of the survey, we'd really like to get your thoughts and opinions on how we're doing and what could we do to improve. Bradley Burgoyne from Cypher speaking to me earlier. That, my friends, is all we have time for today. I hope you've enjoyed listening to my guests as much as I love talking to them. But most of all, I hope you learned something today. The HR and Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk. hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.